You know about Sarah's patience. You know about Moses leading, out, leading the Israelites out of Egypt. You know about Joshua and his courage and his trust in God, about Ruth's faithfulness in God's providence. You know about David, the shepherd boy, who became a great king, and Solomon's wisdom about building the temple. You know about Esther um, and her saving her people and standing up for what is right. You know the stories of Daniel and his faithfulness, even in the lion's den. You know about Isaiah and Jeremiah. You know about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her faithfulness and obedience to follow God's plan. You You know about Joseph. You know about the apostles. You know their names. You know Peter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, Philip. You know all of them. You know Paul, the great persecutor of the church, turned to the great proclamator of the church. You know all those things. You even know some of those minor characters, the ones I thought, ah, okay, I'll pick one of those minor characters. But then I thought, you guys know who Enoch is, that he walked closely with God and was taken to heaven without dying. You know who Deborah is, a judge and prophetess of Israel who helped Israel win their battles. You know Gideon, you know Hannah, you know Samuel, Elijah, you know Nehemiah, you know all these great things. But what about those who made mistakes in the Bible? Those who are seldom discussed. This curiosity led me to look at the negative characters of the Bibles too, right? What can we learn from the people that made mistakes in the Bible? Do any of their traits resonate with us? We often look at the traits of these great heroes and we say, I want to emulate those. But what about the traits of those who did wrong? Can we learn from those? Might we share some of the, might we even, as we look at them, realize that we actually share some of their traits and their thoughts and characteristics? So what can we learn from these that make mistakes? What does the scripture say happened to them? And what was their resolution to their flaws? You see, my, my thought process, asking too many questions, looking at a t- different angle, that's driving how I often look at the problems of the world, but even the scripture. So what's, I call all these people, I guess, anti-heroes, right? People we want to do the opposite of. In fact, I think we all should have an anti-hero in our life. Someone that we want to say, I'm not going to do that. My kids... My youngest daughter helped me to see this idea. My wife and I were always think it's hysterical that our youngest daughter doesn't seem to get in trouble, or didn't when they were young, like the other two. And one day we, we thought, we're like, well, she's perfect. <laughs> and we love this one the best. No. <laughs> Why is that? Well, it's because she saw her older sister and the, their two older sisters, all the mistakes they made and didn't do it, right? She did the opposite of what they did, and she learned from watching them and their mistakes what not to do and did the opposite. So she taught me, hey, maybe it's a good idea that we watch carefully those that make mistakes and let them be our anti-heroes. So what struck me about last week's sermon was when Pastor James referenced the Scripture as a mirror. Do you remember that? How he said the Scripture reflects what's going on in our lives and how 1 Corinthians 13 reflects our character. So if we look into the mirror and fail to see the characteristics of loved, of love outlined in chapter 13, looking back at us, then we need to take a long, hard look at ourselves. Scripture should serve as a mirror 
to our soul, not just our outward appearance. So yes, we should look at others and say, okay, I'm going to learn from that. But ultimately, we should look towards Christ in the Bible and learn from all the characters, all the scripture reference mentioned. So today, I want us to find inspiration in the Bible's heroes, but let's be introspective and look at an anti-hero in the Bible. Today, we're going to look at Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7, verse 37. The, the stories we just had Chad tell us about, we read Luke seven thirty-seven at the in part of our service. I want us to pay attention to the actions of Simon in this story. As Jesus holds up the mirror to his actions, I want us to see our reflection in his actions and attitudes. This story in Luke 7, it's not just about a Pharisee and a sinful woman and Jesus. It really could be about us too. So let me pray as we start to get into this. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have your word to guide us. Thank you that we can learn from every aspect of it. Guide us today as we look at the life and characteristics of the Pharisee named Simon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think just for clarity, I will read it one more time quickly. Uh, Luke seven thirty-six. one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, Jesus, and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. That's a very expensive perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wipe his feet with her tears and wiped them with her, the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment. Now, when the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, him, saw this, he said to himself, Hmm, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Other versions said, he, she is a prostitute. And Jesus answering, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Okay, say it, teacher. Then he gives the parable. A certain money leader had two debts, debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Zion got it right on that illustration. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. You turned toward the woman. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the women, the woman, your faith has saved you. Now, when I read this passage, when I started thinking about Simon, I, I first was led to this story to think about what is opposite of what we've been learning in 1 Corinthians 
13. So in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter, or verse 4, we see the, the example, the definition of love, right? We remember in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient, right? Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So as I thought about that, I started to think, you know, what is this? Why did Jesus put this? Why is this example in the scriptures? And we see this idea of Jesus calling Simon out as if he's holding a mirror up to him, a mirror to his life and to his attitudes. So the first thing we see, so what do we see? And we're looking at Simon's mirror. If we're standing behind Simon and he's looking at a reflection, what do we see? We see pride and self-righteousness, right? We look at this thought. What did he say in verse 39? He was thinking to himself. Now, when he saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. Simon, certainly, he fails to see the grace that is happening. He fails to see what is actually taking place. The God of the universe was right in front of him, and he only saw the sin of others and his need to be seen, perhaps, by others. Are we not often like that? The God of the universe is right in front of us. Someone is preaching the word to us. Someone is sharing what has happened to them in their life. And all we see is the problem. All we see is that sinner who God is working in. There's a thin line, I think, sometimes between confidence and pride. And many of us, unknowingly, we cross it. Pride goes before destruction, says the Proverbs. Simon, we know he was a religious man. How often do we, like Simon... Stand in pride, believing ourselves better than others. Even subtly, we're all susceptible to this flaw. Here we get a firsthand glimpse into Simon's mind. Jesus went right into his mind and said, I know what you're thinking. That's the complete opposite of what we learn and what we're learning in 1 Corinthians. We're learning that love is not arrogant. It's not rude. Here we see Simon being smug and judgmental. We see that he's seriously at fault because he believed God really was only interested in the good people, like him, perhaps, right? A true prophet would know who this person is in front of them. Looking looking into the mirror, we should recognize that Simon's pride helps us to see our own. How often do we, like, like Simon, we stand in judgment of those others that come, maybe even that come into the church, that we know about their checkered past? When people are coming to meet with Jesus, are we looking at the potential that how God can change them? We're all susceptible to this human flaw of our own arrogance and our own pride. If we think even, think a moment about this story, here we have Simon inviting people into his home So he probably had his best religious garb on, so everyone knew he's the Pharisee. You know, he's the man, the godly man, the one in charge of the teachings in the temple. His pride, even in his clothing, I would imagine, 
flowed out of him. Jesus called it right on the spot. The second thing that I think it shows in this story is, did Simon's mirror show us that he had hidden motives? So looking, what do we see in Simon? Are there hidden motives there? In Simon's invitation to Jesus to come to dinner, was the desire to invite Jesus in to know him? Or was it to assert his own status? I think we see here Simon's attitude is really, it's ambivalent. It's nonchalant about who Jesus is. Yeah, he says, oh, teacher. He dresses him as teacher. And he showed some respect. But on the other hand, he did not welcome Jesus with open arms, right? We saw that he did not do all these things. Like, I mean, sounds like he didn't even shake his hand when he came in the door. Perhaps he was busy entertaining his guests, but he was overlooked by Simon. Jesus was overlooked. What was his motive? Did he just want to say to people around him, ah, I know this Jesus guy. He's getting famous in our town. I'm going to invite him. Come to dinner and meet the spectacle. Come in dinner and see the influence I have to bring Jesus into my home. What was his hidden motives? People today fall into the same kind of trap, I think. We don't realize that it's more important what Jesus thinks of us than what others think of us and who we know. Jesus is the one who is sitting on the throne of God. One day will return to the world in glory and power. Let's not forget that. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue can confess. It's what Jesus thinks is what matters. Not what others think of us and maybe our religiousness and who people think we are. And I, I really am stunned by Jesus calling him out on this. Right? Verse 44, then turning towards the woman, he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. You did not anoint my head with oil. He calls. He calls him out. I want to say to you today that Jesus knows your heart. He knows what's on the inside. We need to remember that. And as we continue in 1 Corinthians, there's, we remind that there's no mention of using others to make ourselves look good. Right? 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says that love is not self-seeking. It does not seek its own way. So looking in Simon's mirror, let's contemplate the purity of our intentions in light of what Simon has shown us. Simon's invitation to Jesus seemed to have mixed motives, right? We should recognize that we too sometimes approach spiritual matters with hidden agendas, not just pure hearts. Perhaps we attend church to be seen by others. Or we want to just make our parents happy back home. Maybe sometimes we're quick to turn on Christian music or throw away or swipe away our social media when others are around so that we might seem more holy and pious. Jesus sees right through that. This story of Simon shows us this 
reality. He knows. He knows your hidden motives. Looking again at Simon's mirror, our antihero, what else do we see? I think we see arrogance. As a religious leader, as one with the means to host a big dinner, I think it looks, sounds like he thought highly of himself. The superiority of Simon, that, that's something that we often do ourselves, I think. It's the pitfall of way too many of us. I know that for myself, and I have to fight it sometimes too. It's like, I have better ideas than them, or I could lead better, or my, my way is a better way. And who else among us has felt that secret pleasure of believing that we're better than somebody else? I think we all have that pitfall too. And the evidence, again, Jesus has caught him in his thought pattern when he says, you know, in verse 30 now, now when the Pharisee had, had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if a man were a prophet, he should have known who this was. And Jesus said, and talked to him and gave that story. Jesus knows our inner thoughts. Philippians 2.3, this reminds me of Philippians 2.3. It urges us to value others better than ourselves. So let's not be. Let's not be like Simon. Let's steer away from vanity and feelings of superiority. Let's steer away from having arrogant attitudes that we're better than everyone else. Jesus, again, calls him out by elevating the actions of this woman while showing Simon's lack of hospitality when Jesus entered the room. Again, what we've been learning, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it's not arrogant and not rude. Jesus obviously allowed this woman to come into this party and attend this party to do what she did so that he could give us this character lesson. The fourth flaw, I think, in our anti-hero of Simon that we should watch out for is this idea of a judgmental attitude. Simon passes judgment. It's clear. He's quick to judge. Simon labels the woman without love. How many times have we, in haste, passed verdicts on others? How many times have we kept records of wrong? And what did we learn last week, right? Love keeps no records of wrongs. So we too must strive. Let's look beyond the labels. Let's look beyond the cover. Simon mirrored our own tendencies to categorize, stereotype, and judge without knowing the full story. If we are to be effective witnesses for the kingdom of God, we must look at people with love and compassion, looking past the sin, the labels that, is, that are on them. Pride, hidden motives, arrogance, judgmental attitudes. If we have these things in our life, if we, those are growing in our lives, there's going to be negative consequences that will affect us and the people all around us. So let's take a moment just to look at what are some of the ways that having pride, hidden motive, arrogance, and judgmental attitudes, what's going to happen in our lives I think the first thing to notice is that there will be broken relationships around you. If you've ever wondered why you, you just can't hold on to relationships, you've ever wondered why people come in and out of your lives, perhaps it's because you exhibit Simon's characteristics. If you do, there, when pride takes the front seat, it'll damage your relationships. 
But most importantly, we see here that Simon placed a barrier between him and Christ. Here we see Simon not even paying attention to who Christ was until Christ came into his life and challenged his thinking. It reminds me of Ephesians 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, and every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Don't be one who has broken relationships because you're thinking of yourself all the time. Another, I think, effect that we see in Simon that we can learn from is that self-sufficiency, pride and arrogance and judgmental, he missed the beauty of what is happening in that woman's life. He was blinded to the grace of God in other people's life. God is at work all around us. Sometimes we think, oh, God is not doing anything. Perhaps it's because we're not taking the time to invest in people's life and see what God is doing there. When we're wrapped up in our own righteousness, when we're wrapped up in our own worries, our own pride, we miss the joy of watching God work in other people's lives. This story of this woman being dealt with and her sin being forgiven right in front of our eyes is a beautiful miracle of God. And there are people all around the world that are experiencing this kind of love from Jesus as we speak. Maybe even there are some in this room right now that are ready to have Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. That is a miracle. That is God at work in the lives of individuals. And we should be looking and rejoicing for that. So let's not become blinded to his grace. Not just the grace in our life to be the recipient of this love from God, but the fact that God is working in others. I think the, another thing that's broken, that is messed up because of Simon's attitudes that we want to avoid, and if we don't avoid them, I think we're going to become complacent in our faith by, ne- by neglecting what was expected of Simon. He exhibited complacency. He got comfortable, perhaps. He neglected his spiritual responsibilities. And I say that because I think for the average religious Pharisee, the, the Shema is probably the thing that comes to mind first, right? For Simon, the command, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, are foundational teachings in the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God is part of what we call, you've heard that word, Shema, It's found in Deuteronomy 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength. And this concept of love your neighbor is found in Leviticus 19, 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's fascinating that Jesus took those two pillars of Judaistic thought and teaching and identity, and he combined them when he was asked by a Pharisee at another time in the scriptures, when the Pharisee, a Pharisee, a like-minded Pharisee said, what's the greatest commandment? Because it's in his mind, right? Just like in Simon's mind, he knows what, the, what is the greatest rules to follow. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God. That's found in Matthew, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this interaction with Simon that we see here, has it shows Simon's complacency. It shows his hidden move, motives. It shows his feelings of superiority. It shows his judgmental attitudes towards this lady. And just like in 1 Corinthians 13.1, let me read that again for us because I think that's important. We're to, we're to be careful. right? So we're warned in 1 Corinthians 13, if we speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Complacency. That verse is describing complacency. It's describing what happens when we look at ourselves over the needs and the love of other people. Uh, Revelation, to me, is one of those scary verses, lots of scary things in there. But Revelation 3.15 says, I know your deeds, the Lord says. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus doesn't want us to be complacent. All in. All in for him. Or all out so that he can show his love to you. So Jesus, he's quick though. What's great about Jesus' interaction with Simon and all his character flaws is how Jesus gives opportunity for Simon to grow. How did Jesus respond here in this passage? And it's really a beautiful statement. I have something to tell you. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Simon, I have something to tell you. What incredible, ominous words. What incredible thoughts that Jesus says, I have something to tell you. I, I, are we in a space where we are allowing Jesus to tell us stuff? In our growth groups over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the, the foundational core beliefs of our church. And we've learned that the foundational core belief of our church is that God speaks through this, right? His scripture. If we want to know what Jesus has to tell us, we look here. Jesus has something to tell you all the time, every day. And Simon did have a good response here. He said, yes, teacher. Say it, teacher. That should be our response as well. When Jesus says, I have something to tell you, we should say, say it, Lord. I am all ears. I am here to listen to your word. When we study the word, I think even in last week's lesson, we talked about how the Holy Spirit enables God's word to, to be illuminated in our life. And at the end of our lesson, we talked about how we should be praying, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me understand your word when I read it today. Basically, we're saying, 
Yes, teacher, say it. So even if Simon sacrificed for his sins every day, he was still indebted to the God of grace. We see that in the story that Jesus gave. So Jesus said, I have something to tell you, and he tells that beautiful story of being forgiven of sin. For Simon, he's a Pharisee, and he knows all about sacrifice. He knows all about the law. He all knows all about what it takes in his mind to receive God's grace. But Jesus turns that on his head. Basically, what Jesus says, I have something to tell you, it's grace over works. Jesus' parable that we just saw the kids act out for us is about grace over works. It's about grace. Jesus teaches us that God can give mercy to a sinner, any sinner, the greatest of sinners, the chief of sinners. He can give grace and mercy to. Simon was misled because he thought he has been paying his way in keeping the rules of religion. He thought he could earn credit with God by keeping the ceremonial law. He probably thought he was under no obligation to do anything special because he was a religious Pharisee. But he had no concept of trusting the grace of God for the forgiveness of sin. <laughs> I don't, maybe he thought, you know, he didn't sin of call. He didn't sin at all. Maybe he thought that. But Jesus' treatment showed us otherwise. He says, heart over mind. Through this repentant woman, Jesus emphasizes the value of a humble heart over outward religion. Right? Romans 5.8 reminds me of Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's really interesting here that Jesus uses illustration to describe our standing before God. We owe God respect, obedience, gratitude, because he is the one who forgives us of our sins. It's these heart attitudes, not works of intellect, that save us. Again, imagine the scene, right? Jesus, imagine the scene, Simon the Pharisee, his statue, he's reflecting his pride, droped in robes of religious garments. I can imagine just straight things, jewelry, a nice big hair, hat, tassels down the side, tassels on his side, all the things that show that he is devoted to the law. He invited Jesus into his home, thinking, I'm going to figure out who this guy is. Or thinking, I'm going to look myself important because Jesus knows me and came into my house. His, his motive, I don't think it was to break bread and humility and to learn from Jesus, but it was probably to show Jesus as a trophy, to let other people see this man named Jesus. And I don't know, I mean, did he invite this lady into his home? Or did she just hear and she showed up and burst her way in? Either way, he could have stopped that, but he didn't. Why did he do that? To show that he has more power over temptation? Simon, our anti-hero, we have to learn the lessons here. Is there a shadow of pride lurking in our own hearts? 
Are we serving so that we can see other people serve, so that other people can see us serving? Are we doing things in the church so that we might look better? Are we looking for applause? Do we post all of our good deeds on social media, not to inspire, but to seek subtly the praise of man? Looking at Simon's reflection, his example, how often do we, with the best intention, find ourselves setting the stage for recognition rather than genuine acts of kindness and love for others? Simon could not see the need, the very lesson of love and grace that was unfolding in this woman's life in front of him. His eyes were closed to the teaching that unfolded right in his home. For Simon, it was mind over heart. But for Jesus, it's heart over mind. Now, I have something to tell you. Incredible words. Think about this a little deeper. This woman, probably marginalized and judged, comes before Jesus with the alabaster jar, an expensive jar of perfume. Her tears, a silent testament to her repentance, wash over his feet. She anoints him with oil far more precious than the finest of jewels. Through her actions, she showed profound and understanding of forgiveness, a recognition of love that escaped Simon. I have something to tell you. I have something to tell you. Your faith has saved you. Perhaps the most beautiful words in all of Scripture for God to tell us. Your faith has saved you. And this woman, she now has a new reflection to look at. Her new reflection in the mirror is one of grace. Again, this anti-hero of Simon's attitudes, Jesus gently nudge us to self-reflect as well. 2 Corinthians 13 says, examine yourselves. See whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? When we look in the mirror, do we see Christ? For some of you, I think when you look in the mirror, you might still see your sins. But look a little closer. Like the woman in Simon's house, Christ can forgive you of your sins. Like he forgave her sins. And he can bring you back. All we need to do is lay our sins at the feet of Jesus and he will forgive us. So I don't know where you are today. When you think and think about yourself, all you see is your sinfulness. That's a starting place. Lay that sin at the feet of Jesus and ask for forgiveness. For he says, if you ask, you will be forgiven. For us as believers, when we look into this mirror, we should see Christ reflecting back at us. We should recognize if pride is looking back, our self, or if we're judgmental, if we see those things, we need to take a deep, long look at our lives and our faith and maybe even renew it and ask the Lord to show us, to tell us something. So what do we do now? Right? As we close this sermon, as we close this time, what do we do now for a new me? How do we get to a new place in our life? 
I mean, it's, we should distance ourselves from this kind of character in the scriptures. But the truth is, we all have this anti-hero-ness in us. So let's keep looking. Let's look at the motives behind our actions. Let's realize, are we seeking affirmation from others? Or are we doing things out of a pure heart in our church? Are we a sinner in need of forgiveness? There's hope. There's hope, church. Christ's interactions with Simon is a beacon for us. It guides us. It guides our hearts towards genuine love and humility. What do you do? I think the first thing, the first step, is to recognize our need for God. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins might be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent and pray. Someone in this room needs to do that today. Your sins are blocking so much potential in your life. So many relationships are blocked, especially the relationship between you and God because of your sin. Repent from that and seek divine guidance. James 1 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. You think, how can I overcome my sin? How can I overcome this judgmental attitude? How can I overcome my pride, my arrogance? How? Ask, and Jesus will tell you what to do. Seek divine guidance from God. And I think a practical thing, um, seek grace-filled relationships. Colossians 3 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. If you want to have strong relationships, be one that is forgiving and loving and compassionate, all these things, and continue to meet with others that are like that. Church, membership, involvement, all the things like in our church that we do, these are ways to surround yourself by people that are loving and caring towards you. So this is my prayer for you guys for the next, well, for your life, is to seek after God because he has something to tell you. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we ponder this story in the scripture. We ask that you would speak to us. Tell us how to live our life. Show show us if there is any hurtful, prideful, arrogant, judgmental way within us. Lead us into your righteous way. Lord, thank you that you can restore the relationship between God and man, between me and you. Lord Jesus, restore my relationship even now. For the person in this room, Lord, that needs to to have their sins forgiven, that needs to cast all their cares upon you, needs to be like this, this woman that we read about in the scriptures who fell at your feet and wept, I pray for them. 
even now that they might call out to you and ask forgiveness. Help us as a church to never look poorly on someone who is in the process of knowing Jesus. Allow us to help them overcome their sin and know how to hear Jesus. Grace over judgment, heart over mind. Lord, give us those attitudes. Lord, we love you. And even as we take a moment in silence before we sing the last song, Lord, show us what we need to do with our relationship with you. Change our mirror. Might we see you for the first time or might we see the ways that we need you to change us in our lives? We give you our faults. We give you our sins. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.